What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to episode 90 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcasts, The Tale of the Tape. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and back with me, as always, Vince Cummings. What's going on, brother? Not much, man. We are back to deliver the post-fight edition of Showtime Championship Boxing, Danny Jacobs versus Peter Quillen as Danny Jacobs shocks the world. Before we get to all that action from Showtime, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, and fights across the boxing landscape, we just want to remind everybody to subscribe to The Boxing Rant on YouTube today. Subscribe to The Boxing Rant on YouTube. You can get the audio version of the podcast on iTunes, and uh, be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com for all the archived episodes of the Pound for Pound King of boxing podcasts uh you can find vin on twitter at vince cummings 81 and you can find me kenny keith at kenny keith jr we'll be back in just a few days to preview a big action-packed fight card from the united kingdom and some other fights from around the world but anthony joshua heavyweight prospect returns to action so we'll be back in a few days to preview on episode 91, you looking forward to Joshua versus White? I mean, there's a, there's, that card is loaded. There's some good fights, uh, some good fighters on that card. Eubank versus O'Sullivan? Yeah, that, that's one that's, you know, I, I got an axe to grind against old, old Eubank. So. <laughs> yeah, it should be a good one, no doubt. So look for episode 91 coming down the pipe pretty soon. Um, but for now, we bring you episode 90 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Then, episode 90, Showtime Championship Boxing. The second weekend in a row, this time from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. It is the battle for Brooklyn, Danny Jacobs versus Peter Quillen. Um, Vince, were you pretty excited to uh, go ahead and settle into uh, uh, what should have proved to have been an action-packed fight? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought this was one of the, if not the best, one of the better promoted events for the PBC universe. Sure. I mean, they did a really good job putting this fight out there. And, and, and let's be honest, I mean, I think everybody expected a fun fight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you about the promotional aspect. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know what, even PBC universe aside, I mean, I thought overall in a year, a weird year. Yeah. You know, a year that was kicked off with, you know, what was supposed to be the biggest th- thing that's ever happened in modern boxing i mean uh, dollar wise and and uh and viewership figures pay-per-view numbers sure mayweather pacquiao was just that right but what an absolutely horrendous promotion that was remember oh my god everything was last minute mayweather promotions had no idea what the hell they were doing i mean uh, the chaos with the fight credentials and Mm -hmm. 
and everything else, I mean, it kind of set the standard for a pretty miserably promoted year as a whole. And I think a lot of that, like you said and referred to, a lot of that had to do with the confusion of the PBC. Yeah, they just don't know what they're doing. They couldn't get their ducks in a row. It was fights in random places with random guys. It's just they did a terrible job. Yeah. Yeah, this one was pretty good, man, from uh, you know all the advertisement. I mean, they definitely pumped this one uh, hard. And you know what? And maybe that's a sign of things to come. I would hope so. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a sign that they realize that you know their best platform uh, and it is, regardless of what you think about Steven Espinoza or, you know, the dismal year that was 2014 on Showtime. I mean, at the end of the day, there's two premium providers of fights from from the little things like the ring card girls to the ring announcers to the guys that actually call the fight. These guys are uh, on both universes, HBO and Showtime are professional, uh, you know, producers and um, you know, presenters of right. top flight boxing. Yeah, they, they got a plan. They've been doing it for years. They know how to pull it off and make it look awesome. And and the PBC on the random networks has has whiffed on that big time. Oh, it's been absolute chaos. Yeah. You know, with the, just a, a, a flung together group of has-beens and never-will-bees. Right. As far as, you know, presenters and announcers are concerned. And then and I just kind of amateur hour with the whole production thing. Yep. But this all in all, um, you know, was a pretty well thrown together event, but that did not that did not um, you know prevent a very disappointing uh, gate. I mean, uh, there's only eight thousand four hundred and forty three in attendance. The capacity at the Barclays Center eighteen thousand one hundred. I mean, they didn't even fill this place to half capacity. Both of these guys are from Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean that that speaks to to the struggles that they've had this year and you know you would think i i i mean 10,000 they couldn't even get 10,000 i think it speaks to the uh, to to the level of of delusion and i don't mean that in like a you know like a i'm seeing i'm hallucinating kind of way right. i mean i i mean it in the in the literal sense of the definition of the word like i i we've talked about this time and time again about how these guys and those that employ them view themselves on a much different threshold, much different platform and point of view than the rest of the actual real world considers them. And especially the ones that mean the most to the sport. I don't care what, what promoters or fighters or, or, or the, the journalists that will suck up and latch on and leech on to just, you know, just for quotes and free buffets and the PR tents and all this crap aside, you know, they'll sit here and they'll tell you all kinds of nonsense. And at the end of the day, the people that matter the most are the consumers. Right. And they speak with their wallets and they're not speaking at these events. I mean, it wasn't but just, you know, a month and a half ago, Vin, that a Kazakh, a Russian speaking Kazakh, okay, sold 20,000, sold out Madison Square Garden. Yet these two guys who are supposed to be superstars, mm-hmm. okay, in their own little bubbles, couldn't even sell half the arena inside the little bubble that they live in. Yeah, they they closed off the entire upper deck, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, that's that's sad, man. It, it really is. Okay. So all of the all of the surrounding peripherals um aside from Jacobs versus Quillen, you know, at the end of the day, we went into detail about this about how we felt that this was going to be an evenly matched fight. One of the most bizarre things to me in the in the promotion leading up to, and even during the Showtime Extreme portion of the card, which we'll get to, um, you know, 
when it was Steve Farhood uh, doing the call is even then when they were talking about the uh, the Jacobs versus Quillen matchup, it wasn't about the matchup. It was, you know, Quillen was working at IHOP uh, flipping pancakes and Danny Jacobs was, uh, you know, is a cancer survivor and battle for Brooklyn. Like it was all even up until the bell rang. All you kept hearing from these so-called boxing experts was pitches and sales and marketing. Right. Like they were selling the taglines for the fight. What they failed to recognize and realize was is that they weren't even covering the actual fight. Nobody was talking about what could possibly happen. Nobody was actually talking about the fight. Yeah, there was absolutely no technical breakdown. They were just selling the big picture battle for Brooklyn ordeal. And, and, and you, you know... I, I I really can't say I'm friggin' surprised by that. I mean, they're struggling a little bit. I I, I don't know. You just it, it, come on. You got professionals up there. Let's let's hear a little bit of technical breakdown. Like somebody give me one way this guy's gonna win and one way that guy keys to victory. Nothing. I mean, just nah. simple dumb shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a WWF promotion. Right. All right. Let's get to the fight. Um. You know what, man? Coming into this on the last episode of the Tale of the Tape, previous episodes of the Boxing Rant on um, our YouTube channel, you know, in our fight preview video, we talked about this. We broke it down. Every aspect, every every possibility, every turn and twist that we could think of mm-hmm. as to how this fight could go. And I think we pretty much summed it up. And we had, there were some detractors out there that did not agree with our analysis on this. But I think at the end of the day, we realized and thought, you know, based off of resumes, Quillen, the better resume, um, the power toss up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but at the end of the day, we felt based off of the body of work, not who did what in the amateurs, but based off of what we've seen in all of their fights, that Peter Quillen was the superior fighter. Now, what cancels out any sort of level or ability to fight? Oh, power, of course. It's the great eraser. That's yeah. why they call it the eraser. Yeah. Because all of that stuff that we speculate and preview and break down and overanalyze, <laughs> that's the thing about this sport, man. Yeah, if, you, if, if there's a guy in the ring like Jacobs last night, that one punch on your chin is is good night. I mean, there's making a prediction is kind of it's it's useless because anything could happen at any point in time and change the fight completely. What happened in this first round in, in, in this fight? What happened? What did you see? What the hell was Peter Quilling doing that opened himself up to what caused the end to this fight? I think maybe, I mean, we saw Peter Quillen, maybe the, the, the stage was too big for him. We thought maybe he'd be able to handle it, and this was a big, this was a big deal. I mean, he got a lot of, of face time and pre-fight lead-ups. and Way more attention than he's ever gotten. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe he came into the fight a little, you know, in his head too much, in his own head, and he paid the price for it. I mean, he just, Jacobs came out like a buzzsaw, man, and he wasn't ready for it. He just wasn't. No. I think it speaks to the level of focus or lack thereof that Peter Quillen has had, say, in the last, you know, I I, I proposed the question on Twitter last night, and I asked everybody, I said, you know, how much really has Peter Quillen's head been in the game? You know, he's been, everything else has been so, so, so distracting seemingly to him. Right. This was his big chance. This was, he was really going to break it, break onto the scene and, and become a superstar in this fight. That Michael Zarafa fight did not put him in the right frame of mind for this fight, did it? No, uh-uh. Probably made him feel like he was invincible. Exactly. How much, okay, so, all right, let's backtrack here a little bit. 
So the fight, the punch that lands, um, the ensuing chaos. So Jacobs lands, uh, what was a big right hand? Yeah. Um, and it was a short right hand, mm-hmm. but a big, a big right hand enough that really sort of set Quillen back. I mean, he, all of his weight went onto his back foot. He started to stumble and lean backwards. He seemed not focused. Jacobs saw it. Sometimes fighters will miss that opportunity right. in that window, but saw it in his eyes, went right after him, and went under the attack. It seemed that it was going to end really quick, but then, then Peter Quillen has the wherewithal to grab onto him. But then he let go. Well, it was it was almost Harvey Doc got in there quick to break it up too. He was there like that as soon as he grabbed. He was Doc was there to split him up. And normally, even especially when a guy's hurt, a referee will give give the guy who grabbed a hold a few seconds, yeah. five seconds maybe. Uh, he was there quick. Yeah, he was. And then so in that fray um, after the separation from referee Harvey Doc, um, there's just a non-stop flurry yeah. from Jacobs and he gets caught a couple more times and that last punch that lands it was like Zab Judah versus Costa Zoo all over again I mean that stumble mm-hmm. how if his legs like when it wobbled and he kind of like started stumbling away he like hopped too he, he did it, it, it seemed like his legs locked and mm-hmm. that's what kept him upright right the stoppage I, I I was fine with the stoppage. The way that Harvey Doc handled it was what made it even worse because he kind of he looked he made it seem like he was about to give the standing eight, and he took a initially he takes a step back and splits him up and doesn't really react or do anything, and then he walks up like he's going to give the standing eight and just waves it off. First round normally you like to give a standing eight. Just to see, I mean, you could call it off after the eight count. But, but I think for this fight, there were no standing eight counts. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that that there. I, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. somebody, um, somebody sent out a. Uh, I guess it was like a little. They uh, cut, took a screenshot. Yeah. Of of the rules, and uh, and pasted them on Twitter after the fact when all that sort of confusion and chaos was going on. Right. And I think that in this case there was no standing eight count. Okay, well that makes sense, but the the. He certainly, I just don't think he should have called the fight off. No, uh, it, you know, I didn't mind it only because of the fact that when you saw Quillen's eyes <laughs> and how glazed, I mean, just wide and glazed over, his hands weren't up. He kind of was just, he looked like, I don't even know what was able to keep him upright at that point in time. And I would say to anybody who really wants to bitch about the stoppages, I mean, did you need to see Peter Quillen get hit one more time before it was okay? <laughs> Oh, he got hit one more time. That that stoppage is okay now. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I was one of the people. I didn't scream travesty, and I honestly just didn't really care enough to right. like go crazy about it. I personally just just my flat opinion. I'm not real emotional about this. <laughs> um, you know, I because I think at the end of the day, I think the fight was over. But I do feel like it should have been allowed to you know to go a little bit longer because, dude, I've seen I've seen crazier things in boxing where guys can recover. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? But Quillen's got that same power, one punch, and it changes the other direction. But, you know, my, <laughs> my opinion and my, my sentiment about it shifted a little bit when they went to Quillen immediately after the fight to interview him. Yeah. He was slurring his speech so mm-hmm. bad, and his eyes were so cloudy. Yes. It was a gigantic blabbering concussion. Yeah, it was. And he, I mean, he was so concussed. I, and, and like I said, you, I mean, one more punch. If he takes one more punch, if you want to bitch about the stoppage, I, I, I mean, the chances are it's not going to be, but it could be a life changing punch. Yeah. That could be the last time he ever gets in the ring. Hey, you know, 
uh, some of Peter Quillen's, uh, uh, you know, biggest uh, uh, critics out there would say after what he did to Michael Zarafa that maybe they should have let the fight go on a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't wish that on anybody. And at the end of the day, um, you know. Karma's a bitch, ain't it? It is a bitch. <laughs> no, it really is. And this is what happens. I mean, you know, one thing that you and I really didn't take into consideration, and I'll be the first to admit this because we were wrong. We both picked Quillen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did not really take into consideration who, like, where they were mentally. The fact that Jacobs was going to be prepared, mentally focused, sharp, you know, completely dialed in. And the fact that Quillen is, he's all over the place. I mean, he's not. He's a little loopy, huh? He, dude, he is such a dingbat, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's in, you know, he's from Michigan one day. He's in New York the next day. Then he's in Miami bitching about New York and how it's chaos. and Speaking horrible Spanish on the all access. <laughs> yeah, awful, awful butchered Spanish. And speaking of butchered Spanish, man, we'll get to that in the next fight um, from the announcing crew. But, uh, yeah, man, I, you know, we didn't take it into consideration, and I think we should have. And I think what we've learned in the aftermath of this fight is that Peter Quillen was not focused on this fight. No, he wasn't. And looking back on some of the stuff that you saw leading into the fight, Danny Jacobs always had the same calm demeanor. Yeah. You know, he was, he was focused on what was coming in the fight and not about being a star or any of the other bullshit that came along with this fight. So, yeah, I, look, whenever a fight's over and you're wrong, you always look back and go, how'd I miss that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it, it does seem obvious in, uh, you know, in, in hindsight. But you know what? If this, if this kind of a fight with these kind of fighters uh, was proposed again, you know, personally, we analyze so much film that sometimes we get really, we rely a lot on, um, on technique mm-hmm. and on resumes and on their styles and stuff like that. We, we tend to really hang our hats on that kind of stuff. You know, when in a fight, and in any sport, but especially when so much is on the line, I think the most important thing out of anything is where your head's at. Yeah, mental. the mental side of the game is huge in any sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Danny Jacobs said in the immediate aftermath, and which was surprising considering the aftermath of his fight against Sergio Mora, where Sergio Mora's leg snaps in half, and then he gets the knockout victory on some phantom punch. Right. He immediately said to the microphone, "No rematch. I'm moving on." Oh, of course. This was our. This was already lined up. Exactly. <laughs> so, but in this one, Danny Jacobs said that he would give Quillen a, a rematch. Do you want to see a rematch? I, I mean, I wouldn't hate if there was a rematch, but if I was Danny Jacobs, I'd I'd go ahead and move on to bigger and better things right now. I mean, you might be able to come back to that down the line. I I, I mean I don't think there's many people that the next step up for Danny Jacobs is going to be a tough one for him I think but he does have the power to make anything happen in any fight I I I just I wouldn't do it now I don't think an immediate rematch is called for here no I think Quillen needs to prove that he's dedicated to the sport yeah they're going to need to find him another Zarafa well you know what and maybe the rematch never happens because it look it's been proven in in the infancy of the PBC that Al Heyman has no problem putting somebody on the Adonis Stevenson plan. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's just, hey, we'll give you we'll give you soft touch after soft touch. We'll put you in your hometown and you know what, we'll overpay you and yep. you can ride off into the sunset and just kind of be a face and another another guy to put on another program. And he could be that. And maybe he's happy with that. Right. His behavior would suggest that he is. Yeah. That he is happy with just kind of li- living the easy life and um, you know, Danny Jacobs still has an axe to grind and, and a lot to prove. And, and personally, I'm not going to sit here after this, after this kind of an ending and say 
that all of the questions and all of the things that I feel that Danny Jacobs still has to go a long way on mm-hmm. has been has been proven yet. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he still has to – he just blasted a guy out in the first round, okay? Um, he's not going to be able to do that, and I'm not saying that these fights are even possible. He's not going to be able to do that to a Canelo. He's not going to be able to do that to a Golovkin. That is just not going to happen. I, w- I would even say a, a David Lemieux. I mean, it, yeah. There's a lot of guys. There's four or five guys out there that aren't in the PBC that are middleweights that would give Jacobs a lot of problems. A lot of problems. Yeah. And, and and you know what this does here is is that this raises my level of respect for Danny Jacobs. Yes. I've always had. Look, don't mistake the criticisms and the analysis on this show for not having love or respect for somebody. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about people that get in there and do the deal. Right. And that that right there is this entry-level respect. So we get all that, we put that over here because we already have all of that. Yeah, we know that's there. Yeah, so we take it to the next level and try to break these things down the best that we know how, uh, agree or disagree. You know, and at the end of the day, I think Danny Jacobs uh, entertained. I think he shocked the world in, in, in a sense. Um and uh, at least a little corner of it, and more power to him. A lot of respect for Danny Jacobs. I just, um, you know, there's a lot of questions, but that's what's intriguing about this guy. Yeah, yeah, and look, moving forward, I think any fight that he's in is going to be exciting because of the style that he fights in. I mean, he's a, he's a big puncher, and he likes action, man. Yeah. He's going to bring it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So it looks like um, there are some possibilities on the horizon. You got a... Uh, uh, Brian Campbell tweeted out immediately after the fight that Lou DeBella loves the idea of a potential Andy Lee, Danny Jacobs, middleweight title unification bout in New York around St. Patty's Day if Lee wins um, two weeks from now. And I, as soon as he, I was the first person to respond to this tweet, I said, yeah, Brian, that's not a unification fight. No, I mean, come on. What, what do you... And he responded by saying, yeah, I know that, but that's how Lou will sell it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh. Okay, so that brings me to my next point. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this for a second. First and foremost, this entire promotion, Vince, there was this inexplicable focus on Jacob's low-level WBA belt. Showtime and, and staff and company and, uh, and employees – reiterating, reinforcing, and hammering at home that Jacobs is the middleweight champion of the world. Um, it was nonstop, this entire promotion. It, it appeared, based on the all-access, that he takes that belt everywhere he goes. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and But what's funny is this is a crew, an announcing crew, that has a reputation for admonishing fans, uh, for, that, that have admonished fans, from recognizing the different levels right. um, and versions of these belts. Like, they have over and over and over again admonished fans from recognizing this, and especially the WBA. They're, they're at the center of everybody's criticisms because they almost have three or four. Sometimes they will crown three or four mm-hmm. world champions in each weight class. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I just I, I don't understand like why this became a huge focus. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, why? Okay, so we know that the PBC has been calling whoever holds a belt, regardless of what level it is. They've been calling them the champion of whatever weight class they hold that trinket in. Whether or not it it's just a trophy or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and that's kind of been their mantra. So then with this they've been trying to hammer home and and get you to start like muscle memorizing and just just repeating it over and over and over again. And if we keep 
just like what they're putting different shows on multiple platforms over and over and over again. If we do it enough, if we throw enough shit at the wall, some of it's going to stick. Right. Right. So the same thing with this. So, so what it's telling me is, is that they're doing this with Deontay Wilder. Yep. There's a campaign of these guys, regardless if they're the undisputed champion or not, they're giving them, they're recognizing them, which tells me that the PBC belts are right around the corner. I think I, I could have swore. I saw a picture of a PBC. It belt. was a, uh, uh, no, it, it was a fake. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, somebody cut the PBC logo and put it on the belt. It wasn't. Oh, okay. it, yeah, it wasn't the PBC belt. Um, I saw the same. I saw the same thing. It almost looked like uh, I don't know, like one of these like traveling like circus, like deep south, like Tennessee wrestling. <laughs> uh, Tennessee. TNA belt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, man. You know, look. Here's the thing: is that that's all fine and good. That's what they're gonna do. I think they just need to go ahead and do it yeah. because what it does is then it starts. It really starts to take away and distract from the accomplishment of Danny Jacobs. You know, there was a uh, some 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 troll on Twitter last night that was you know just going on and on and on about how like uh, making comments about the attendance and making comments about uh, you know stuff like this where you know and and talking about all the things that go into these fights and that surround the fights and um, you know all the bells and whistles, the promotions, the people's involved, and all these things that somehow. By talking about those things, I'm insulting Danny Jacobs, and I'm 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 raining on his parade and spoiling his accomplishments. It, it, like I'm at his party, right? Just pissing all over the fucking cake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. That's ridiculous, man. I, I for whatever reason, you're, you're, whatever you do, no matter what, you make a comment. Somebody's not going to like. They they pick two words out of it that they don't like. Yeah, dude. But look, here's the thing: is that. The reason we're talking about this is because the people involved, the companies, the promoters, Showtime, PBC, they don't realize they are distracting the focus from the fighter Mm -hmm. by behaving this way. That's what I'm pointing out. I'm pointing out that their own people are taking the spotlight away from their fighters by distracting those that are watching with this peripheral circus. No, you're exactly right, man. Brian Custer. And Mauro Ronaldo, join in on the bullshit, okay? Mm-hmm. Full steam ahead with the new Triple G smear campaign. I was completely perplexed by this. Brian Custer states, well, uh, this right here, this Jacobs victory over Quillen, I mean, some would say that this is a bigger, uh, a bigger win than any win on Golovkin's resume. I'm like, who's talking about Golovkin? Right. Yeah, why is he even in this conversation? Why are you all of a sudden you you just you act like these these fighters from other promotional companies and other networks you act like they're dead, like they do not exist. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden, no, not only are we going to acknowledge that they exist, but we're not going to give them their due, and we're just going to shit all over what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they'll drop the name to help legitimize their guy. I mean, come on, I uh, dude. It, it, it doesn't make any sense because if you run down through this list, first off, I think that Martin Murray's better than Peter Quillen. Yeah. I think that David Lemieux's better than than Peter Quillen. Um, I think there's a couple names that you could say down Golovkin's resume. But if you look at Danny Jacob and no, and then Somaro Ronaldo piles on and says he, he dude, he takes it even a step further and says, You could even say that Jacobs has a better overall resume than Golovkin. And Al Bernstein jumps in and he's like, Come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Let's remember this, Morrow, and especially Brian Custer, who's just a yes man. Oh my God! You know what I mean? Uh, he's such a tool bag. Um, 
we need to remind these guys. I mean, the fact is, is that Danny Jacobs was knocked out by Dimitri Pirog. Right. Okay, so he has a knockout loss on his resume. And Sergio Mora is a B-level borderline club fighter. Mm-hmm. Okay, a guy that had some success on a reality TV show. All right. And Peter Quillen, that's it. That's it. Peter Quillen is the only top 10 fighter that he has ever faced. Golovkin has numerous top 10 ranked fighters on his resume. All right. And minus uh, Quillen's victory against Endom, he really hasn't beaten anybody either. So, But he still has a better resume than Jacobs. Oh, of course. Of course. I don't get this. Like, to even compare Danny. Danny, look, it doesn't matter how much you try with your campaign and the nonsense and the propaganda and all this narrative stuff. You're hurting the focus on your fighter. Right. Okay? Here's the facts. Gennady Golovkin is the WBA middleweight champion of the world. And no matter how much you try to take a dump on what he's accomplished, it does not lift your guy up any further. Danny Jacobs holds a low-level belt, and he is making a rise and a name for himself in the sport. He is doing himself a service by going out, working hard, and winning the fights that are put in front of him. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's doing the best that he can. But by taking this childish throwing rocks at the, at, the, at the bully across the street perspective and just dragging Golovkin's name through the mud, a fighter that chances are Danny Jacobs will never face because of promotional things. Right. It's like the little guy hiding behind the big brother screaming from behind him because he because you know that the fight's never going to happen right i i mean i after that fight last night i i just sat sitting there thinking to myself like god why wouldn't loffler and hbo just let their man go to the pbc for one fight yeah just let them just the, just to expose like hey look this is what happens outside of here this is where the best in the world are this is the real champion He's going to come in here and dust your boy off like that. Yes. I, I mean, th- th- that whole – look, they have, to, they have to bring up his name because right now in boxing there's two names that are true superstars and th- that are basically crossover stars now where they become household names outside of boxing. Mm-hmm. So they got to drop the name. They, uh, Jacobs is, is just Jacobs without throwing, a, uh, without throwing a Golovkin into the sentence as a comparison. Yeah. You know, I mean, do you think that that but it, to me, it kind of insults their fighter, though? Oh, it does. It definitely insults their fighter. I mean, just leave that out of it. Who cares? Nobody Golovkin's not a part of this narrative tonight. Why don't why don't they do even though HBO, you know, they fanboy their guys and they push their guys and oh, they yeah. market their guys. But why don't they take the same kind of approach? HBO is into building storylines and to creating stories that lead to an end game. Right. Why isn't Showtime and their announcers pushing for a Golovkin fight? Instead, they're like making they're taking the Steve did Steven Espinoza write the script from like his <laughs> his troll manual? Right. His his like how to troll in boxing. You know what I mean? What was yeah. the, what was the one thing we called 99 ways to uh, uh what was it? 99 ways for an uh, idiot to I can't even remember it anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. Just if you Google ninety nine ways to and Stephen Espinoza, the book will come up. Um, yeah, man, but it's like almost like they took that perspective instead of like they could have done Danny Jacobs and boxing a whole deal of good. Yeah, had they done what they can do with the microphone in their face and say we want to, you know, uh, you know, as as presenters of this sport, we want to see 
Danny Jacobs versus Gennady Golovkin. That's what we need to see. That's no. what we need to see in the sport, but they don't. No, they're just going to tell you that he's got a better resume. Yeah, they just reach over here, and they grab another brick and a little bit of mortar, you know, <laughs> mix in a little bit of bullshit, you know. Then they take another brick, and they just keep on putting up the wall yep. further and further and further. That's ridiculous, man. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I, to the point now where after these fights, I, I just, I'd much rather just tune out than hear the bullshit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. All right, so there you have it. Uh, Danny Jacobs, man, just comes out and shocks the world. Good for him. Um, and uh, I hope big things are on the horizon. You know, and if it's not the winner of uh, of Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders, which I think, you know, I guess that kind of makes sense, even though it's not a unification fight. Right. The fight that makes the most sense to me is getting Danny Jacobs in the ring with Gennady Golovkin. Yeah, I, I really, really hope that HBO goes back to their to their model that they did with Pernell Whitaker back in the 90s, which was let their guy go to get some attention somewhere. And it's not like he needs the attention, but it it allows people that probably may not have the pay channel or, or want to buy the pay-per-view. They've, they've heard about this guy. They'll tune in to see who he is. And then the next time you have him on pay-per-view, you get a percentage of those people that go, well, yeah, I watched him once. Now I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the undercar. Okay, let's get to this co-feature real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on it because yeah. we may end up falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Um, Jesus Quajar. Quajar? Quajar. Quajar? Quajar. Quajar. That was ridiculous. Versus Jonathan Okendo, uh, featherweight fight, another low-level trinket belt. Um, uh, <laughs> Jesus Quajar. Why didn't they just <laughs> they, okay, look, look. Just say Jesus Everybody's saying it different. There's four guys saying it different. <laughs> All right, let me just go ahead and say this real quick. North American Latinos, Mexicans. Yeah. Okay. They say Cuellar. Yes. Okay? Cuellar. Yeah. Okay. That's how you pronounce it. Cuellar. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're in North America. A English speaking North American crew um, announcing this to North American television audiences. Okay. They read that and they say Cuellar. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Argentina, they pronounce things a little bit different. It's a regional South American dialect of Spanish. Right. Okay? They pronounce things a little bit different. But that's how they pronounce it in their hometown. Quijar. Right? Quijar. So <laughs> they hear him saying this, and that's how his people and him are saying his name right. in these, uh, you know, these fighter meetings. And then they come out and try to do a South, a regional South American accent on TV, but they're butchering it. They're yeah. not even pronouncing it properly. I had some fun with it on Twitter. I know that so, was hilarious. So did I. So let me ask you a question. Is it more of a disservice to pronounce it with a proper Spanish accent, or is it more of a disservice to just take a huge dump on the way that they actually say it in their hometown? I mean, just say it the North American way. We don't need the dialect from another from another country just come on man it was ridiculous yeah i mean look it's like it's one thing if you're in if you're in this area of the world in north america mexico united states canada you know and you say like for miguel cotto you call him cotto right you know what i mean it's like okay listen listen you can cotto okay right that is that as working english spanish north american style cuellar canelo Right. Yeah. Even if you want to take it a next step, Coto, right? Yeah. Miguel, yeah. Angel, Coto, Cuellar, <laughs> right? Cuellar, Cuellar. 
<laughs> Here talking to Jesus Quasar versus Jonathan Okendo <laughs> for the featherweight Quasar of the world. <laughs> oh, dude, what's funny is, is that look, Twitter is so hilarious to me when this kind of stuff happens during an absolutely boring fight. Oh, yeah. When there's a boring fight going on on TV, Twitter is at its best. Oh, it explodes. Remember during the uh, the undercard of Mayweather Pacquiao? That was oh the most fun I have ever had on Twitter. That was unheard of, dude. People were going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Quasar. <laughs> Jesus Quasar. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, horrible fight, right? Yeah, I kept, uh, you know, as the fight's going on, I'm thinking to myself, somebody should just tell Jesus Quasar. <laughs> Quasar. That uh, he's facing himself, but five, you know, he's going to be Jonathan Okendo in five years. <laughs> Rigondio. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Quayar just doesn't do anything to me. Like, he's obviously not going to be a champion. I think he's got some skills, some good skill set, but he's going to end up being what Jonathan Okendo is now in, in five years. Uh, you know what was the most surprising thing to me in this fight, Vince, was Okendo comes out, fights the fight of his life uh, against Johnny Gonzalez, mm-hmm. and then he just comes out and he's gun shy against the guy that couldn't hurt him. Yeah, I, I was really. I mean, he came alive in the middle rounds, Okendo for a little bit, but yeah, he got outthrown almost three to one. Clay Jar dominated. <laughs> <laughs> Clay Jar. <laughs> Oh, oh Jesus Quajar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they couldn't have, I mean, just absolutely. Did they think they were going to offend somebody? I, I don't know, man. It's a sensitivity, man. Rigondio. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares in this country. Everybody, I butcher names on this show all the time. But I'm not doing it as like a... I'm trying to say it the way it should be said. I just don't know how to say it right. Right, and there's something endearing about that. Right. You sound like a complete and utter moron. I mean, these guys. <laughs> oh. Dude, let me ask you a question real quick before we get to the Algeri fight. Um, is it me, or have you noticed that Paulie Malinaji is starting to slip? He's definitely, he's not spouting off. He's not doing a polynomial where he's going like this. He does, he goes quiet for long periods of yeah. time. He seems kind of disinterested and moody. He used to be almost borderline hyperactive on the broadcast. And now, yeah, you're right. He very, very subdued Pauly the past couple times out. I'm very, I wonder, because we know how severely concussed he was mm-hmm. in the uh, Sean Porter fight. Yes. And then the beating that he took in the, in the Danny Garcia fight. And the fact that, Dude, Paulie Malinaji may be one of these guys that we're going to see because he has a microphone in his face, mm-hmm. that we're going to see a, a, a steady regression in his motor skills because we all know that Paulie Malinaji has the – his ego is about as, as freaking fragile as a – I'm surprised he was able to fit it in the Barclays last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's big, man. It is a big ego. But, dude, that thing is is freaking, oh, man, it is thin. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It is thin. And he's so fragile and always needs hot air being constantly pumped into it, which is his kryptonite, is the reason why he can't stay out of the ring. Yeah. Because he has to have his ego fluffed. He has to be able to tell himself that, you know what, I can do this. I'm, and this is, look, I'm not, we're hard on Paulie. This is a sports thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a 
athletes that perform at a high level and and when they're not performing anymore they feel like part of them is gone they become soulless in 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 some regards but dude i'm telling you right now man paulie just he is i've never really disrespected said anything negative about his announcing abilities yeah he's pretty good yeah he is i don't agree with a lot of what he says when he starts putting his own personal opinions into things right and he gets away from actually analyzing the sport but yeah, I just noticed last night during the coverage, man, he was really slipping. He was getting like real he's starting to get kind of like bickery and he starts to argue a little bit and he gets right. in these little like spats and tiffs and like if they if somebody disagrees with him or like counters an argument, he he gets a little pouty. Yeah, I, hey, look, and he's getting in the ring this weekend. I mean just yeah, hanging on too long, man. Hanging on like a like just a one of them, one of them dingleberries you just can't get rid of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's there, and you, you you try to pluck it, but you don't want to get that that smell on your fingers. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Comedy hour, man. <laughs> right? Just like that opening that opening line as soon as the broadcast went live on uh, on regular Showtime, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, you know all about this, Paulie. You know all about the battle for Brooklyn." He's like, "What can I say? They love me here." <laughs> they they do fluff that guy, man. Oh, oh, and dude, why do you think he's fighting in the UK? Oh, they, they hey. don't know, they don't know nothing over there. He's Paulie Malignaggi is has not uh, worn out his welcome in the UK. They love that guy over there. They hate their own guys, but they love them some Paulie. I know, it kills me, man. Uh, I would love to understand that dynamic. We have a very very respectable and a great a great great UK listenership to this show. Mm-hmm. Somebody please, in a, in a just a thoughtful email, don't be a dick, just explain to us what this infatuation with Paulie Malignaggi is. We'll read the email on the show. I, yeah. I, I'm curious. I, yeah, I want to know, too. It, it kills me every time I see people praising him on Twitter. They're mainly UK guys. I'm like, you guys, you're just naive. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, Paulie, Paulie, Paulie. All right. He... He's back. He's out yeah. of the cage again. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris Algieri rocking a just <laughs> a vicious, vicious. Uh, uh, what's that beard dye stuff called? That five minute hair club for men or. What? Yeah. Just, just for men. Just or? for men. <laughs> oh, vicious. A vicious just for men beard. <laughs> Matching the hair, dude. When I saw him during the weigh-in, I looked at my wife. She looks back at me, and she was like, oh, my gosh. He dyed his beard and his hair. Yeah. Look, I, he, he's, he's a playboy, man. The, <laughs> look, we're, we're a little older than he is. We're a few years older than him. You're what? You're 34? 34. Okay, I'm 35. Uh, I think Algeria's what, around 31, 32? 30, yeah, 31, I think. Do you, you got some gray. Do you dye, you, you dye your beard? Oh, no. You get that little comb and... No, no. Come on, I'm not James or Franco Harris and whoever pitches that commercial. Franco Harris, Keith Hernandez. It's like Jesus. Oh man, I'm my mid fifties. I don't need to do that. Why would anybody dye their beard, man? Freaking having gray in your beard makes you fucking just straight up. Beast, I'm sure dude. a little a little vanity comes into play with old Al Jerry. He's a pretty boy. I don't know, man. I'm going for some straight up Sean Connery style of my beard, man. I can't wait till that thing turns gray. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Looks uh, distinguished. Lovely party. <laughs> Pity I wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, Chris Algieri, Eric Bonet, Eric Bonet. We saw him crack 
as a fill-in, John Porter's debut on the PBC. Did he look extra swole to you? He looked bigger, yes. He looked really big. Yeah. I don't remember him being that tall. No. And I don't remember him being that thick. Yeah. You're exactly right. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he almost looked like a – he was about Porter size height-wise. And, and I just remember him being skinny. Yeah, I thought he was too. Uh, that was a pretty good fight, man. It was, it it was. was entertaining. Man, I, I was really surprised that Bonet had no power for Algeria at all. Yeah, it does get to a point when you're watching fights like that. And it was you know, constant trading, inside fighting, big shots landed. From Serious both. balls from both fighters. Yeah, but when uh, come like the eighth round when you're like, okay, none of these guys can hurt each other. What's the point here? <laughs> Yeah, it gets to a point when you're watching a fight and neither one of the guy can even make the other guy stumble for a second. This kind of seems like, all right, let's let's go. Let's speed this up. Algeria has no power. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And Khan must have a terrible chin because he wobbled <laughs> the hell out of him. I mean, that's I mean, I think he does. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we know. I'm just saying it, it, it's really bad. And Algeria was wearing your favorite Adidas gloves. Yeah, yeah him and Arthur Abraham, right? Oh, to Abraham. He was actually doing the Abraham. Uh, you know, he did have the guard too. Yeah, he had the turtle shell going. You know what, what? What? What blows my mind? I mean, I'm impressed that Algeria has an has an infighting game. I think it's going to serve him well. Um, you know, as he steps up, and I have, I just as long as Chris Algeria wants to fight, they're going to put him in in big fights. Yeah, because he's good enough. He's skilled enough. He's toughest. He's tough as hell. He may look like a total douchebag, but dude, he is as tough as they come in this sport. Yeah. You, you got to be a kickboxer before you become a boxer. I mean, you're taking kicks to the face here. He's a tough dude, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, good-looking white guy, um, you know, and it is what it is. Not very many of those going around the fight nope. game. So he's marketable. And, and you know what? He should be fighting because he's pretty damn good too, right? Um, I don't know, man. I am just – I don't know if it's the John David Jackson. I don't know if they saw something with Bonet. He, I'm telling you right now, Algieri could have gotten out of this fight with – Way less damage on his face if he would have boxed. He could have boxed and beaten Bonet. I, I think that he realizes, and it's, a, and it's a business move to some extent, that this is what fans want to see. They don't want to see pretty boxing. That's they a want, good point. They want to see, you know, and, and, a, and a, guy, a fighter like Algieri kind of needs that extra bit. He can't, you can't sell Algieri the boxer from the Provodnikov fight for too long, especially if it's not, he's not facing a guy like a Provodnikov right. that brings it to him. So I think you know, it's a business move in, in some aspects and makes him more exciting and more watchable. That's a great point, man. You know, really, if that's why he's doing it, big up to him. Right, and he, and he obviously can take the pounding, so why not? I, you know, I don't know how long you want to take poundings like that. I mean, that'll shorten your career. Who do you want to see him fight next? For something tells me that um, he's going to be facing Mr. Danny Garcia after Garcia beats the Ghost. Think so? Yeah, I think that's a. I think that makes sense. Yeah. What about? Uh, oh, is it true? Is is it really official that that Broner's fighting Theo Payne? Uh, it sounds like it. I mean, that's a complete fucking joke. This guy, I, I, I can't even remember ever seeing Theo Payne on TV. He's got like thirteen losses, doesn't he? Or he's got something ridiculous amount of losses. I don't even know. I don't even care. I don't know. He's like ten years older than Broner. Yeah. He's completely irrelevant to the sport. This is like. Ah, like but ma- that one sparring session at the TMT gym, Theo Payne got the better of Broner. Oh, yeah, that is that is a – dude, I can't think of a better reason, a better reason 
to charge fans to watch that fight. They might as well just put that fight on closed-circuit TV in the TMT gym and let them watch it. Oh, I guarantee you, it would get more views. <laughs> I, I, dude, I put that on his, his dipshit about Billions YouTube channel. Right. I'd watch it. I, I, I mean, that fight, is, it's wrong on so many levels, and it just, I mean, come on. I, dude, that's, I, I ask because I think I would, I, personally, I would like to see Algeria versus Broner. Yeah, that's a good fight. I yeah. mean, it, but Algieri's at, at welterweight now, so is Broner coming up, or is he going down? Or are they meeting in the middle? I don't know. Can Algieri still make 140? I mean, he looked pretty damn sucked in making 147 at, yeah, the, at the scales. I think 147 is the right weight for him. Can't believe they're doing Broner versus Theo Payne. I mean, he loses to Porter, embarrasses himself, says that his life has changed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They gift wrap him the 140-pound WBA World Championship, slap on the title of four-time world champion against a guy that had no business and was completely and 100% as undeserving as Adrian Broner was to be in that fight. Mm-hmm. And then, so he, he, he gets this, here, here's a little, here, here's a big old coiled up stinking pile of entitlement for you. Right. Um, and then they're going to run it back with, with Ashley Theopane. Uh, I, I mean, and he's back in the club acting like a fucking moron. And look, as long as they, they treat him like that, this shit will never change. Uh, how, I, hold on. How can he? He doesn't make, he makes, he makes money. Yeah. He gets paid like a million dollars a fight. Mm-hmm. Is that enough money to live the way that he acts? Unless he must have a side side hustle that I don't know about. I think he does things where he like charges like like white college frat boys like ten thousand dollars, like rich white kids, like like ten thousand dollars to go to the strip club with him. Does he really? Yeah, I've heard stories about that. I'm sure. I look, I, and I'm sure he does other stupid shit where he pulls in side money. But either way, I mean, he's buying jewelry. That's I mean, half a million dollars. It's it's like yeah. What what the hell are you doing? You just. He does not have Floyd money. No. Not even close. No. No, no, He no, He no, doesn't no. even have a fraction of, of Canelo money or Cotto money or, you know what I'm saying? Well, let's be honest. I mean, it, it's a million dollars is the paycheck, but, I mean, taxes and, and and hangers on and everybody else. And 150K off the top goes right to Papa Al. Right. It's He's only coming home with probably four, four five, somewhere in that area. I don't know. He's a... You would think the advisor, Mr. Heyman, would be helping these boys out with their money, huh? Nah. That's the perplex- Just making money off the backs of them. That's the perplexing thing about the Broner thing is it would be one thing to give somebody who's deserving, responsible with their money, opportunity after opportunity to set them up for the future, right? Because they're good people. They're out there working hard mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So, you know what? I'm going to give this guy another shot. You know what I'm saying? He's responsible for his money. But what's basically happening right now, this is like the, you know, the stereotypical story of, you know, a parent having a heroin addict for a kid that basically steals money from the parents and the parents constantly bailing him out. Some of the parents even, you know, making sure that they keep their drug addict child on an even level so they fund their Mm -hmm. heroin addiction. I mean, that's kind of the dynamic that I kind of see here going on between Papa Al. Maybe he feels bad for Broner. I I think it's maybe even more at this point now that Al's like, well, everybody in this country kind of runs to the shit show. So let's just keep this shit show rolling. Yep. And and you know what? It doesn't matter if it's Adrian Broner. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's you or if it's me, 
15% of a million dollars is 15% of a million dollars. Damn skippy. So you keep running them out there, and as long as people tune in for this clown. And people will. Yes, you're right. It's a, it's, it's a clown show now, and they, he's just he's facilitating it. My scorecard, Algeri Bonet, then 96 to 93. I'm, I'm right with you. I think it was a close fight until about the seventh, eighth round, and then Algeri completely took over late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No uh, no doubt about it whatsoever, man. It was a entertaining fight um, from beginning to end. Algeri, I, you know, what can I say, man? I'd like to see him in the ring again. Mm-hmm. Got to get this guy some power, though. Yeah, I know. Man. You know? Yeah. Did it look like, before we move on to the next fight, did it look like to you that, that they were wearing sparring gloves? They did look a little big. I wonder what size they were wearing. If they were in eights or tens. They, they were probably wearing eights. You think? Yeah. And this thing's like freaking huge, especially those Adidas gloves. Um, all right, man. Well, that, that'll do it for Showtime Championship Boxing. All in all, I mean, I don't know, man. It was pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm not going to complain. I, I enjoyed myself. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and move to the Save Marked Arena in Fresno, California on Unimas. Jose Ramirez versus Johnny Garcia. Oh, man, unbelievable. This kid, uh, Ramirez, that he, and, and, and I, I don't even think people were even going to believe this, but this is the absolute truth here, that this kid is only 23 years old, and sold 13,000 tickets. Yeah, it's nuts, man. He's a prospect. Yeah. He's a prospect entering into the fight against Johnny Garcia was 15-0 and with 12 knockouts selling 13,000 tickets. Put this into perspective. The kid sold 5,000 more tickets than Jacobs versus Quillen. That's, it's insane, man. It really is. It just goes to show you that you can be successful by growing and grooming mm-hmm. a fighter the proper way. Right. You know? Yep. Um, all right, let's get right to the action. Uh, Jose Ramirez versus Johnny Garcia, 140-pound con- contest from the Save Margarita, Fres- uh, Fresno, California. The first round, Ramirez doos- doing some nice work inside, staying low, launching quick uppercuts and hooks. Uh, he gets really great leverage, and more impressively, the extension on his punches inside was really something to behold. A lot of people struggle to follow through on their inside punching game. Right, just a snapback punch. Yeah, and he follows right through with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the second round, Ramirez comes out quick, very aggressive, and a little reckless, to be honest with you. In the middle of the round, the fighters are at the center of the ring. Ramirez is having his way, and he goes to throw a right hook, but as he starts to wind up the right hand, he drops the left guard, and Garcia makes him pay catching him with a big right hand that staggers Ramirez, forcing him to touch his glove to the canvas and try to hold on for dear life. The ref starts the count, calls it a knockdown. Ramirez's response, pretty priceless. He got up. My boy was pissed. Oh, yeah. Angry as can be and went right after Garcia, launching an onslaught, pinning him on the ropes, pummeling him. The third round, the closing minute of the third, both fighters standing toe-to-toe, winging brutal power shots one after the other, ducking the head-hunting shots, both of them were. The overall work rate of Ramirez in the third round, Vin, very, very lopsided into his favor. He was throwing a ton of punches at this point. Yeah. ton of punches. The fourth round, Ramirez shot out of a cannon, slamming Garcia into the corner, launching power shot after power shot. Ramirez seems to be tiring a bit in the second part of the fourth or maybe just taking a breather from the attack, leaving Garcia some room to fire back, but to no avail. We head to the fifth, the fight getting pretty physical on the inside, both fighters digging deep, but it's Garcia in the closing minute that's making his way forward. Now for 
the first time. In the sixth, Ramirez boxing smarter, picking up uh, his pace in spots, but stays committed to throwing the power shots. Garcia is cut over the left eye. Seventh round, man, Garcia's face, splatter paint. Yeah. Splatter paint. Ramirez was going to work. Absolutely. Head to the eighth. Ramirez fights hard all the way to the end, exerting a ton of energy over the eight rounds, looking exhausted, but Garcia looked like he had no more breaths left in the tank. Yeah, yeah, he caught a beatdown. <laughs> man, it was brutal. My card, 78 to 73. The judges, 79, 73 times two, 77, 74. Let me ask you a question. How did they get a 79-73 scorecard? Okay, if you go to the round that Garcia's, uh, Garcia knocked down in the second round, where he, he knocks down Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Okay, they call it a knockdown. They count the knockdown. Right. Is the referee beholden? I mean, are the judges beholden to the referee's official call of a knockdown? Can they go back and wipe that off the scorecard? Because No, they have to go with what the referee says. That's, yeah, that's rule. They, you, can't, you can't be a rogue judge and do what you want. It's... The referee makes the call. You have to score the call. Okay, so it's a knockdown. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how do you get to a 79 scorecard? You have to score 9-9 for Ramirez, and then the rest of the rounds go to Ramirez? Yeah, I, yeah, that's the only way. Okay, but if then that happens, then how do you get a 73? <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, yeah, something's wrong there. You know what I'm saying? Somebody, somebody added wrong, or yeah, I, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I, look, I gave one round to Garcia, but if I don't give that round to Garcia and I give it, and I give that round to Ramirez, then my scorecard goes. And let's just say, so then that would be how the referees would have to have scored it, right? Yeah. So if I give that round to Ramirez, then it goes from thirty-nine, thirty-six. Well, I guess maybe they can get that thirty-six. 45, 54, 63. It's still 72. Yeah, it's, it would be 79, 72. <laughs> Not 73. But they scored it 79, they, 73 times too. Uh, maybe they scored a 10, 10 round. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But right here, 77. 74, one off of uh, my card. Did you have a score for this fight? I did not score no. the fight, no. Um, Jose Ramirez, unanimous decision, 12. I tell you what, man. This kid, if you're selling that many tickets at this age, 23 years old, Selling 13,000 tickets. Dude, I mean, you got to really think, are we heading towards something here with this kid? Yeah. I, look, I think there's big things down the road for this guy. Um, didn't, didn't you say he last lost in the amateurs to Lomachenko? Yeah, Vasily Lomachenko, yeah. yeah. I mean, the kid's got uh, skills. In the, in the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, the, the kid's a, a dynamite, dynamite fighter. Uh, he's got the look, too, to go with it. Uh, they're, they're, this kid's going to do big, big things. Yeah, he was on that 2012 uh, U.S. Olympic team with uh, Errol Spence and, mm-hmm. you know, and all those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, you know what? The way he fought this fight against Garcia, he's going to have to, he's going to have to, <laughs> he's going to have to polish that up a little bit, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he's a young kid. He's he's trying to make an exciting fight in his hometown, probably. And he did. And, yeah. and, and he did. But, man, uh, he's really, I mean, it was an eight round fight. So maybe he knew that, you know. Yeah. He, he was able to fight at that pace for that long. Oh, definitely. And keep it up. And so maybe that's why he went balls to the wall. Maybe it was that nervous energy. Um, but I tell you what, man, he's an exciting, exciting young kid to watch. Yeah, and look, when you're packing the house in your hometown like that, I mean, that's that's motivation to bring a good fight because you know you can get every single one of those people back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a few weeks from today, uh, Vince and I will be counting down 
um, the top 10 prospects in all of boxing. We've been doing this list now for, uh, for over a year, and the next update would do it, I guess, twice a year, mm-hmm. right? Well, I guess technically, okay, so we do one at the end of the year, then we'll do one at the middle of the year. Um, and so it's the end of the year time coming up. We'll be doing an episode of the countdown of the top 10 prospects. We'll be doing the top 10 close of the year, the 2015 roundup of the top 10 pound for pound list. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have all kinds of good stuff like Fights that. Fights of the year. Fights of the year. Knockout of the year. All that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you never know. Jose Ramirez might just be joining the party. He could. Joseph Parker was in action in Hamilton, New Zealand. That, that man is a beast. What is up with this guy? He is a stone cold beast, dude. I mean, just that knockout punch, that overhand right. The the kid is just so, so, uh, he's so powerful, man. And he's just skilled to go with it. This kid, I don't know when, who's going to be the first network to jump on this kid to put him on TV in this country? Because it, it's got to be only a matter of time. I mean, he, if you don't know this kid now, by now and you follow boxing seriously, you're missing the boat because this kid is a monster. <sighs> man. Absolute monster. And, and you know, dude, Daniel Martz was a tall fighter, man. Yeah. Yeah, Daniel March was not a slouch, not a complete slouch. No, and, you know, this guy's probably got a three- or four-inch height advantage. Mm-hmm. And, dude, Joseph Parker, the way he threw that right, the angle in which he threw it was like a baseball pitcher that throws, like, a perfect overhand fastball. Right. I mean, that thing was just, damn, how did he get that leverage on that punch? Those were those were my Donna overhand punches in the from the yes. Mayweather fight. That's a great, great comparison. Uh, Joseph Parker with a minute and three seconds left in round one. Flatlines Daniel Martz. I agree with you. Um, Joseph Parker needs to arrive. And if HBO and Showtime, if they're not having a bidding war on this guy right yeah, now. I don't understand it. I don't know who's working at these networks. That these like, hey, This guy is, is one of the next big things in the heavyweight division and in a division that's getting very exciting right now. That's it's kind of it's brewing to to kind of take off here. This is going to be one of the guys that is a part of that, if not one of maybe the best. I mean, that's I'm telling you, this kid is damn good. Yeah, I, dude, he's already in our top ten heavyweight rankings. Exactly. I mean that that right there goes to to show how we feel about him. Yeah. And and I, I dude, I think that there's a consensus, you know, amongst our our friends in the boxing universe that that feel the same way about yeah. this guy. Yeah, you have to when you watch him. Absolutely. So look for big things from uh, the New Zealand native, Joseph Parker. Um, hey, you know what? If you got 10 minutes, go back and watch all of his fights because they don't last long. No, they do not. They do not at all. All right, man. So I guess that will do it for episode 90 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast. There's all your post-fight. Danny Jacobs did the deal. Mm-hmm. Shocking, shocking knockout. Uh, victory over Peter Quillen, um, and that's all the rest of the action from this past weekend. But we will be back in just a few days with episode 91. Big big card in the U.K. Oh, man, this is going to be a good one. A good one indeed. As one of boxing's best and brightest heavyweight prospect on the rise, Anthony Joshua, returns to the ring against Dylan White. If you can get a hold of a broadcast of this one, you don't want to miss it. Absolutely. But you've been tuned in to episode 90 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here 
on theboxingrant.com. For my co-host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter, at VinceCummings81. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Kenny Keith Jr. Be sure to subscribe to The Boxing Rant on YouTube today and get the audio version of the podcast on iTunes. We appreciate all of you taking time out of your busy days to listen to episode 90 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing Podcasts. We thank you all for tuning in to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody. <laughs>